0: You're listening to The Podcast Network. Find more great
1: podcasts at www.thepodcastnetwork.com. Listen. Learn. Evolve. Evolve.
0: Welcome to the Napoleon Podcast, episode 18, a much delayed and avoided episode, 18. We have to confess, don't we, David Markham?
1: Well, Cameron, it's true. Uh, You and I have commented that uh, neither one of us is real anxious to uh, talk at great length about Trafalgar. Uh, I just had a conversation with uh, my wife, Barbara, and I, I told her that I didn't really have a whole lot to say about Trafalgar, and she she admonished me. She 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 said I should have. After all, the British never stopped talking about it, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't blame them. You know, the, the the Battle of Trafalgar is is their equivalent, I suppose, of of the French Battle of Austerlitz, and indeed they they, they happened in a, a very similar time frame. Uh, you know, the the impact of Austerlitz is somewhat questionable long term. It it didn't really Fully established uh, Napoleon's supremacy, the impact of trafalgar long term really didn't change much. I mean Napoleon was never really a major naval threat, and after he was defeated, his forces were defeated at Trafalgar. He still was never a major naval threat so so in a sense it's it's not something that uh, that had a huge long term impact. But it did have short-term implications. It did make it clear to Napoleon uh, that you know certain things were were, were as they were, uh, and as we'll talk later, it, it gave uh, Great Britain a, a genuine hero. And, and, and when all is said and done, there's no question that Admiral Lord Nelson is a is a genuine uh, British hero. And so it does have those implications, and it's an interesting story, uh, but. Uh, it's also true that, that I think ne- neither you nor I are, are, are really naval experts. We, we tend to focus on, on land battles and diplomacy and social history and so on, and, and not so much on naval things. Uh, all that said and done, however, uh, there is uh, a fair amount to be said, and, and I'm sure we will.
0: Yeah and it's uh, whilst it's uh not an area of Napoleonic history that I have really studied in great detail because Napoleon wasn't really involved I mean he you know uh, the the navy was obviously under his command but I guess one of the things that interests me about Napoleon is his abilities on the battlefield, tactics and strategy, and the way that he carried himself. And, of course, he wasn't on the boats. He wasn't out there directing what was happening. He was busy elsewhere. Why don't we talk about that? I mean, we we mentioned at the end of the last show that we would kind of skipped Trafalgar uh, in our um, excitement. So uh, <laughs> this occurred in uh, 1805, 21st of October, yeah, was, 1805.
1: The, the battle, yeah, the Battle of October was the 21st of October of 05, so it's before uh, the Battle of Austerlitz by, by a fair amount.
0: I think it was actually around about the Battle of Ulm, if I remember correctly. Does that sound right? That's,
1: that's right. He, he, Napoleon finds out about it between the Battle of Ulm and and the Battle of of, of Austerlitz, Uh, and it, as I think we may have pointed out briefly in our story on on the Austerlitz campaign, it does put a bit of a damper on on Napoleon, but Napoleon, when he finds out about it, uh, no doubt took the attitude that I just expressed, that, well, you know, nothing's really changed, and then he comes along and has this great victory in Austerlitz. Napoleon was always concerned about Great Britain and always wanted to deal one way or the other with Great Britain, largely because Great Britain was rather persistent in in, in her opposition to Napoleonic France. But Napoleon's real emphasis, his real desire in terms of his reforms, in terms of, you know, political or military control, uh, in terms of his own security and so forth, was of course continental Europe. He was concerned about uh, the position of Spain, the position of, of, of Austria, the position of, of, of Russia and, and, and so on, uh, the security of his border uh, uh, in the south with, with, with Italy. those were the things that really concerned Napoleon. Uh, and even even the stuff that he does navally is either designed to support him in his land campaigns, as we'll see at uh, Trafalgar ultimately was, uh, or to somehow bring pressure on Great Britain or to to, to invade Great Britain. There's still, in in 1805, this possibility, at least, of invading Great Britain and not trying to necessarily gain complete control over her, but, but to force some kind of an alliance. All Napoleon really wants, and frankly, all he needs from Great Britain is as a political an economic alliance, and frankly, again, if you look back, and we've we've talked about uh, the Peace of Amiens and and so on, that was in everybody's best interest, but except for that brief period of time, it it, it never happened.
0: Now, I guess we should talk about some of the uh, major characters who were involved in the Battle of Trafalgar. Um, Let's start with the the French side. Now, the, the Navy was actually under the command of... Pierre-Charles-Jean-Baptiste-Sylvestre de Villeneuve, who was uh, of aristocratic descent, I believe, but had sympathized with the French Revolution and, and thereby not become an emigre, not, not, not saved. Uh, he saved his skin, didn't get executed, dropped the D from his name. And uh, from my readings in prep for the show, it sounds like even before... The Battle of Trafalgar. Napoleon's opinion of Villeneuve wasn't really that high. I've got uh, a letter here that uh, Napoleon wrote to Vice Admiral de from um, on August 22nd, 1805, so several months before the Battle of Trafalgar. Where in part he writes, I don't believe Villeneuve has enough character to command a frigate. The man has no energy, no moral courage. A couple of Spanish ships are in collision. A few of his men fall sick, or he has two days headwinds, is sighted by one of the enemy ships, and hears a rumour that Nelson has joined Calder. And at once all his plans are changed, though there is nothing in any of these things taken separately. To add insult to injury, he gives no details about the composition of his fleet and doesn't say a word as to what he is going to do or not to do. He is quite unused to war and doesn't know how to conduct it. If Nelson had joined Calder and thought himself sufficiently strong, he would have appeared before Farol, That is obvious as ABC. The English papers, as you know, say that Nelson has been at the Canaries. And he goes on basically criticizing Villeneuve's character. So it sounds like he didn't have, you know, the highest opinion of him to begin with.
1: Well, no, he he did not have a very high uh, opinion of, of Villeneuve. Uh, Villeneuve had had not necessarily performed well uh, in in some other uh, actions, and uh, he he thought Villeneuve's biggest problem was that he didn't take initiative. He didn't get out there and really uh uh go after the enemy he he was more likely to to uh take a very conservative even defensive uh position and of course Napoleon uh being a a great man of action uh, was was certainly having having none of that and and we will see uh, at Trafalgar that Villeneuve in fact once again uh, proves Napoleon uh, correct that Villeneuve takes the safe way, takes the the careful way, uh, more interested in preserving his fleet than using it in a way that might actually accomplish something. Uh, That's the nature of Villeneuve, and and, uh, I think that Napoleon understood that and didn't like it. Part of Napoleon's problem, though, well, there's twofold. First of all, it's got to be said that Napoleon is is hardly an expert on on naval strategy, naval tactics. Uh, certainly, doesn't know a whole lot about what what it takes to run a ship and so on, and and therefore maybe is a little bit more likely to accede, in, to some extent at least, uh, to to his admirals. And secondly, while he had a lot of generals and marshals of really high quality, high high caliber, he doesn't have that much depth when it comes to his naval commanders. France had never emphasized the Navy. It did not have the tradition of of a Navy. Obviously, the Great Britain did. Uh, and even in, in this campaign, uh, France is only able to challenge the British Navy because of her alliance with Spain. With the, with the Spanish fleet, Napoleon felt that he might be able to to adequately challenge the power of the British uh, on, on the ocean. It, it, we also have to remember that at one point, uh, Napoleon was counting on the Danish fleet uh, in Copenhagen. But as we know from a previous episode, uh, the British had, had put an end to the Danish fleet as well. And indeed, this, this brings us, of course, to the, the next person in our cast of characters, and that is Admiral Lord Nelson. Uh, I think I said earlier... Uh, one of the true heroes of this period uh, for Great Britain, and one of the one of the true heroes of all time for Great Britain, and deservedly so. <clears throat> Admiral Lord Nelson, of course, is involved in all three of these major defeats uh, for Napoleon. It's Admiral Nelson who defeats the, and indeed, destroys the British, uh, excuse me, the the French fleet, the Battle of the Nile in 1798. It is Admiral Lord Nelson who destroys, takes out of action, the uh, Danish fleet. And at Trafalgar, it is once again Admiral Lord Nelson who defeats the uh, French and destroys the French fleet and puts an end to any possibility that the French, under Napoleon, will be able to, number one, challenge uh, great britain's supremacy of the seas or number 2 uh make any kind of a serious effort to invade great britain neither one of those things is going to happen after trafalgar although to be honest as i said at the beginning of the show neither one of those things was really ever likely to happen maybe you could drop a scenario where you've got the the french the spanish and the danish fleet and favorable winds and the element of surprise, although how they'd have that, I don't know, and 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 somehow a successful effort, but it was very unlikely from the beginning, and it certainly isn't going to happen after Trafalgar.
0: Now, uh, as you said, Nelson had been involved in the, the three major battles against Napoleonic France, but his history as a naval commander for the British against France actually predates Napoleon. Uh, he was... In his late 40s, at the time of the Battle of Trafalgar, when he lost his life, but had been battling France uh, since, I think, 1783, he first had command of uh, a small naval force trying to dislodge the French from the Turks' islands. Uh, So this is, you know, going way before Napoleon turned up on the scene, obviously. And uh, we should say his full title was uh, Vice Admiral Horatio Nelson, First Viscount Nelson, and he had the initials KB after his name, which didn't stand for kilobytes back in those days. It stood for (laughs) uh, the Order of the Bath, which uh, I have no idea what that is, but I can probably look it up. Uh, The Most Honourable Order of the Bath... Is a British order of chivalry founded by George the in 1725. The name derives from the medieval ceremony for creating a knight, which involved bathing as a symbol of purification, as one of its elements. There you go. They were the Knights of the Bath.
1: Well, oh, sure. Bath. Knights of the Bath is is and 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 we really don't want to to uh, put it down. It's 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 one of the great honors that the that the British Empire. Uh, and can bestow uh, on 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 his members and and those people who who received that 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 honor uh, no, no doubt deserve it and 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 and, and he, no doubt he deserved it uh, as well by the way i neglected to mention when we were talking about admiral uh, Villeneuve, uh just to refresh our memory he was the guy at the battle of the nile uh who could have taken his end of the French fleet and taken it decisively, potentially at least, against uh, the the already heavily engaged British fleet at that battle, but instead chose to sail away to preserve the fleet. And this gets right back to what I was saying earlier. Villeneuve is a very conservative uh, admiral. He wants to make sure that the fleet it lives to fight another day there's something to be said for that i suppose but sometimes you have to you know just go hell bent for leather and uh, and do what you can he didn't do that at the battle of the nile much i think to the dismay of napoleon and to the detriment of the french and we'll see at trafalgar he doesn't do it there either
0: Yeah, he's one of these guys that, uh, you know, had a track record of not really coming home with the goods, but I believe Napoleon also conversely considered Villeneuve a lucky man. You know, Napoleon, I've had a few chats with people uh, via email and uh, on the the forums lately about Napoleon and whether or not he was a religious man, what his beliefs were, and I was explaining to somebody recently that from my reading, although there's, there's some... Conflicting information, but my reading is that Napoleon was quite irreligious, although he was quite prepared to use religion wherever it was useful. But uh, he he did seem to believe in his lucky star or in fate or in destiny, and he had a certain amount of soldier superstition about him, I think. And, uh, you know, certain of his marshals and his commanders who seemed to stare down death from time to time and escape it when they shouldn't have he i think he may have viewed them as being guided by some sort of a lucky angel so to speak a lucky star as he believed i think that he did to a certain extent and um you know as you said in the battle of the nile there was only i think two french ships of the line that escaped defeat and uh was one of them yes and 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 i believe to the
1: this day that uh, Admiral Brouet, uh screwed up badly in his uh, disposition of the fleet and Admiral Villeneuve uh, should clearly have have been more aggressive. Napoleon certainly believed in, in the value of luck. He understood that his star was in the ascendancy, at least in part because of uh, good fortune. Uh, I, I've told the story on this show before that Napoleon one time asked... Uh, you know, when told about the the the, the possible uh, promotion of some officer and all the, the the attributes this officer had, Napoleon responded, "Yes, but is he lucky?" Uh, that's that's true. People believed in luck. You go back to the medieval times and people believed in luck, and Napoleon uh, certainly was no exception. That said, uh, I, I think there's more practical reasons why he kept uh, Villeneuve, uh, and, and I think that largely it was because he thought he was at least a a somewhat reasonable admiral, and and he didn't have an awful lot of additional choices. At any rate, let's let's go on and talk about uh, the battle itself.
0: Well, actually, can I do a bit more background on Nelson first? Because there's some interesting um, things about Nelson that I, I didn't know until I dug into his biography a little bit. Um, some people may not know that he had lost almost his entire right arm from um, sort of amputation from a, an earlier battle, he he took a, a musket ball to the arm, fracturing his humerus. I think this was around uh, 1797, and uh, the medical science of the day obviously counseled Amputation for serious limb wounds, otherwise you had a good chance of getting gangrene in the arm, so uh yeah, he lost almost his entire right arm and and apparently he f- referred to the stub that was left as his fin, which is uh kind of amusing, obviously had somewhat of a sense of humour about it, but then um he was also in seventeen ninety six for a while stationed at Elba and coincidentally lived in the same house in Elba that Napoleon was to occupy during the first abdication. So there's you know interesting and I know there's also some interesting um connections when we get to Saint Helena as well with uh, a certain Duke of Wellington who had spent some time in Saint Helena before napoleon it's it's fascinating to me how their paths and their destinies sort of on these islands uh crossed each other it's not entirely unusual of course the you know these guys got around a bit and there weren't too many islands for them to
1: stay in but um there you go true enough i mean there there are these these interesting little connections uh and and of course uh uh Elba had a strategic uh, location uh in the mediterranean and and Saint Helene was was an island that was uh, very very important uh, to trade and and was a way station along uh, between uh, South Africa and, and, and England. So, uh, and 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 there are these connections and and uh, it makes for interesting reading. Of course, I thought you were going to talk about the the the, the famous uh, Lady Hamilton uh, and his uh, his relationships with her, but this is not really a a place to go into uh, extended biography of some of these folks. And in all honesty, I've not read nearly as much about uh, Lord Nelson as, as possibly some of our listeners have and, and, and clearly as you have.
0: Well, I am a good friend of Wikipedia, I must say.
1: <laughs> well, you've got to be careful. I mean, I like Wikipedia and, and a lot of my students use it and I've been known to double-check something. Uh, But the the good news is that that people can add to Wikipedia and improve on it. Uh, The bad news is that people can add to Wikipedia and maybe not improve on it. Uh, Given that there's relatively little control, as I understand it anyway, over the actual material that you read, uh, you've got to be at least a little bit careful uh, that you're not reading something that somebody posted who doesn't really know what the hell they're talking about.
0: It's the wisdom of the crowds. Not perfect, but Uh, people's uh, wisdom. People's wisdom.
1: So let's spoken like it. But this is about Napoleon, not the revolution. So
0: that's right. So let's get into um, the Battle of Trafalgar. Now, Napoleon, as I understand it, had given sort of blanket orders to the navy to uh, take the French and Spanish ships, and uh, the first favourable opportunity to go and join the ships of the line that were at Cartagena. And uh, then, if they were to find the British fleet with inferior numbers, they should fight a decisive action. So, am I right in thinking that he kind of left it in Villeneuve's camp to get out there and make good things happen?
1: Well, I, I think that's 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 fairly accurate. Uh, I, I think maybe Napoleon had they had sketched it out a little bit more than that. Villeneuve was was sitting at Toulon, which had at least a a marginal. Uh, uh, if not a blockade, it was certainly being being watched uh, by the British. Uh, so Villeneuve is down there. He uh, <clears throat> he's able to 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 sneak out and get through through Trafalgar into the open sea. He meets up with other portions of the navy uh, as well as the the Spanish allies, and the the plan. If you look at a map, and we can't really do that here. But the, the plan would seem to us perhaps a little bit odd, particularly considering the time frames involved and you know given the nature of the ships. But the idea was to sail from the coast of Iberia all the way to the Caribbean, the Americas, all the way across the Atlantic with the British in hot pursuit, and then to somehow turn around, fool the British, sail back to Europe, and originally to support an invasion of Great Britain, with the British presumably still trying to find the French back in the Caribbean. Now, I don't know what the odds were that this was ever going to work, it it seems to me to be a little bit odd. On the other hand, it's also true that the open sea is really, really big. And navies, which may look like huge collections of ships in, in a harbor somewhere, can in fact be the proverbial needle in a haystack in the open sea. And I suppose the idea was they could somehow manage to lose the British Navy and dash back to Europe to support Napoleon's invasion. Uh, This, remember, was when Napoleon was uh, still at Boulogne uh, on the coast uh, of of the English Channel, uh, thinking seriously about the possibility of invading. This is before Napoleon has moved his army uh, to uh, Central Europe. So this is the plan. Uh, Villeneuve, in fact, gets out of Toulon Harbor and he sails the way to the Caribbean. Uh Nelson is a little bit slow to realize what's going on, uh, and he uh, does, in fact, uh, begin finally to follow the French, and this takes quite some time. The French sail to Martinique, which, by the way, parenthetically, is the birthplace, the island of the birthplace of uh, Josephine, a beautiful island with gorgeous beaches and, of course, the remains of, of the Beauharnais. Uh, sugar plantation for those of you who get a chance to go there as as I did on a cruise some years ago, the French then, having the advantage of knowing exactly what they want to do, they turn around and try their best to race back to europe and they're generally two, three, four days ahead of the British they come across, however, when they get fairly close to the coast. They come across another uh, collection of British ships on the 22nd of July where they fight a a relatively minor and I think generally uh, uh, inconsequential operation against the British. However, here's where Villeneuve starts to show his colors again. Uh, They Begin to seek shelter. Instead of carrying the fight on or, or racing for England, they begin to seek shelter. They stop at several different places and they finally end up in the Spanish harbor uh, at Cadiz. Okay. Now, Cadiz is a very, very secure harbor. Uh, given this, he's safe there. The Brits can't touch him. Uh, the, the shore batteries uh, are, are fairly far out from the harbor and make it virtually impossible for the British ships to to do any kind of serious action against the French and Spanish Navy. Now, if you're Villeneuve, that's great news. You can kick back, you can relax, you can let your sailors uh, repair the ships and rest up and so forth, and then you can think about what to do a little bit later on. And so he lets Napoleon know what the story is. Napoleon not surprisingly, is livid. He can't believe, although he should have, he can't believe that Villeneuve has decided to take this very, very conservative uh, point of view. Meanwhile, by the way, it also has to be, by way of reminder, this is around the time that Napoleon realizes that the Austrians and the Russians are moving against a French interest in Central Europe, uh, And so Napoleon, as we discussed in the 1805 campaign a few periods ago, a few uh, sessions ago, uh, decides to move almost all of his army in secret, very rapidly, across, goes to Ulm, goes to Austerlitz, et cetera, Vienna, and, and, and wins that campaign. And he wanted to have his navy to move to Italy, land soldiers in Italy, who could then move up to the north uh, uh, to to go against austria and of course the the navy would be there to blockade or bombard or whatever needed to be done uh to british interests in uh in austrian interest in in italy uh so the fact that villeneuve was all tied up at cadiz uh did not exactly uh make napoleon happy uh and uh so he's he's stewing uh, about that. Nelson now, of course, returns the two to four day advantage that the French had over the main British Navy under their main naval commander Nelson is now gone, uh, and and Nelson's uh, Nelson's no fool. He says to himself, "Listen, I know I can't." do anything about the French Navy where it is. It's too well protected at Cadiz. I've I've been to Cadiz. It's 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 really a very secure harbor. So I can take two points of, of action. I can blockade the harbor and we can have a stalemate. And the good news is that the French and Spanish Navy will not be a threat. But the bad news of course is that neither will the British Navy be able to engage in any other kind of action. Or whether it's necessary to protect the home front, or do something else, because it will be engaged in keeping the French and Spanish Navy at Cadiz. And so, unlike Villeneuve, who probably would have said, "Okay, fine, uh, checkmate or stalemate is fine," uh, the, the 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 British Navy stays out of sight, a little bit like Al- like at Austerlitz with Napoleon's army. So. Villeneuve only sees a relatively small number of ships that are trying to keep him pinned in. And uh, he finally begins to realize that he's in trouble. In fact, uh, the word gets to him that Napoleon is sending a replacement, that Napoleon is pissed. And he's sending a replacement, and Villeneuve is going to be disgraced. Well, you can't have that. You can't be disgraced. And you've got to find some way to avoid being replaced. So Villeneuve says to himself, listen, if I leave the harbor, my replacement can't get to me. And if I go out there and have any kind of a victory against even this relatively few British ships that are waiting for me out here, that will convince Napoleon that I am worthwhile. And then I can go off to... To Italy, and and my reputation and my career will be saved. Of course, he doesn't know that the the the, the British Navy is lying in wait. About two days away. Okay, uh, so Villeneuve's ships sail out, find you know sailing order, and they're going to head for Gibraltar and 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 the the other ships that they were going to fight are fleeing and they think they've got everybody on the run but after about 2 days of sailing when the french are well away from the shore batteries so there's no chance of any kind of shore support and they're really too far for the for the french to make a run back to cadiz to outrun the the uh, the, the, the british uh, ships the British strike. They send in their ships of the line, the big warships, uh, and uh, they they hoist uh, the, the the famous flag signal that that Nelson sent. England he expects that every man will do his duty, and uh, here come the Brits. Well, the French and Spanish, <laughs> under their fearless leader, see this as happening, and Decide that they'd better turn around and run back to Cadiz. Well, this is really stupid First of all the French and the Spanish ships Were well lined up for battle And in fact could probably have given the British Navy a good run for its money Now the British would almost certainly have won, but there would have been a lot of damage on both sides This was not going to be the Battle of the Nile where the French ships were chained to each other, uh, really in no position to move, and, 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 and in a position instead to be surrounded and, and unable to do anything about it. This was the open sea. The ships were able to maneuver as maneuver they needed, and they had pretty good firepower. So it, while the, the British probably had a, an advantage, it, it wasn't a done deal. But now, imagine these ships are all lined up nicely in good battle order. And the order comes by flag signal from the admiral, run away. Well, these ships are all going to turn and try to go back from where they came. And you can envision this very easily in your mind, even if you just take two hands and put one in front of the other. As you turn, you've lost your ability to support each other, you've lost your your speed, and, and your whole line of battle where you can take and give broadsides is gone. Uh, and very quickly, instead of an organized formation fighting another organized formation, you have individual French and Spanish ships, each on their own, Sometimes ganged up on by as many as two British ships, and, and it's a disaster. The British, you know, uh, are just picking, picking their individual combat and picking off the, the French and Spanish ships one by one. Some of them, some of the French and Spanish, surprised, sailed off into the sunset and abandoned the ships that were still fighting. Would that have made a difference? It's hard to say. I'm not enough of an expert on the battle or on naval warfare in general to be able to say for sure, but I do know that if you take four, five, or six ships out of your your entourage, uh, that can't be good news for that battle. It may be nice to have them say for later, but it can't be good news then. When the battle was over, the British had captured or destroyed 18 of the combined fleet, of the Spanish and French fleet, and not a single ship of the British was destroyed. In fact, an awful lot of ships were were captured, although wouldn't you know a big storm comes up and some of those captured ships which were undermanned and not able to withstand the storm very well uh, were destroyed. Uh, Villeneuve himself was taken prisoner uh a, a, another disgrace he's already been disgraced by retreating to Cadiz now he's disgraced by losing this enormous battle to the British navy and he allows himself to be captured i mean this is this is not good news uh he's 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 overwrought he's Just, you know, unbelievably psychologically destroyed at this point. And indeed, in 1806, early 1806, just before he was about to be released, uh, as officers of his level typically were relatively soon, traded for other officers, uh, he commits suicide. It's a sad story, and you feel sorry for Villeneuve, but you also have to recognize that He was directly involved in two major defeats, and in both cases, you can at least make a plausible argument that had he acted differently, the battles might have, and I underline might, because I'm not saying the French lost those two battles because of Villeneuve, but it's quite possible that had Villeneuve acted differently, both at the Nile and at Trafalgar, uh, that the outcome uh, would have been different. Now Villeneuve dies, although indirectly. Of course, the other great and tragic death of, of the Battle of Trafalgar was Admiral Lord Nelson. Uh, on the flagship victory, a ship which has been beautifully preserved in the UK, by the way, in Portsmouth, and you can go and you can uh, you can visit it and and even on certain occasions, you can, you can, if you have the money, you can arrange to have a banquet there, as I understand. Uh, in naval combat, you tend to think of the the cannons firing broadsides at each other, but they also have contingents of Marines and other uh, soldiers and and uh, sharpshooters and so on. And these sharpshooters, although how accurate they can be on a ship that's heaving to and fro, is hard to understand but these guys are trying to pick off officers that they can or even the the poor blokes who are you know firing the guns or or whatever and a a, a french sharpshooter uh, manages to uh to hit admiral lord nelson the sharpshooter was on the uh, the french ship uh, reducible and, uh, and and nelson of course dies a few hours later uh, and if i recall his his body is taken back to a England uh, in a cask of uh, rum. I would argue that that's an unfortunate waste of rum, but that's the way <laughs> things were. And if you go to, and I mean no disrespect to, to the Admiral, who actually I'm, I have a great deal of respect for for Lord Nelson. And by the way, uh, if you go to London, as I do often, and, and I love the city of London, I, I just have a, a great time. Every time I'm there, I, I find the people to be friendly, and the history to be fabulous, and the theater of course is wonderful and occasionally I manage to do a little bit of work at the British Library as well. Uh, the, one of the greatest places to go watch people, and I love to be a people watcher, uh, is of course Trafalgar Square. Now I have to sort of grip my teeth and grin and bear it because there's this huge monument to, to, to this defeat and it's no surprise that if I had my way uh, Napoleon would have won. Uh, or the, the the French Navy would have won. But nevertheless, it's a great place, and it's a it's a fitting, far far larger than life tribute to someone who, again, I think is one of Great Britain's uh, really great and legitimate uh, heroes, Admiral Lord Nelson. He he deserves the credit he gets because he, unlike Villeneuve, unlike Bruet, and I guess to some extent unlike Napoleon, Nelson did what had to be done to win at Nile, at Copenhagen, and at Trafalgar.
0: Well, let me uh, throw in a few things there. And then I I want to actually touch on that because I I, I will confess, I don't really understand the great admiration for Nelson. I mean, to me, he he had the easy job. He had the best Navy, the most experienced Navy. You know, it wasn't like he was battling the odds. But anyway, let's get back to that in a second. That's um, true. The information I have is that uh, his body was preserved in a barrel of brandy. And legend has it that it was actually French brandy that had been captured during the battle. And this is the origin of the phrase, tapping the Admiral for having a small hard drink. A phrase. Yes, and and let,
1: let, let me interrupt you. You're you're quite right. I said rum, but I I meant brandy. That's you're, you're quite right.
0: And I've never heard that uh, term, tapping the admiral. So, but apparently, I've never
1: heard the term. But by the way, my my statement, uh, Cameron stays. I much prefer brandy to rum, so it's an even greater waste. They should have put them in rum. <laughs>
0: And uh, he was given a state funeral, um, one of only five non-royal Britons to receive the honour, others including the Duke of Wellington and Sir Winston Churchill. He's entombed at St. Paul's Cathedral and was laid to rest in a wooden coffin that was made from the mast of the ship, La Orient, which had been salvaged after the Battle of the Nile. Now, the bullet that entered his uh, shoulder, went through his lung and killed him, it was... uh, uh, rescued was rescued. What do you call it? They they, they took the bullet out, and um, it's now on public display in Windsor Castle. Yes. Now the other the other great thing I love about uh, the Nelson death story is um, his last words. Now there's some controversy over his last words. Now according to the surgeon William Beatty, who uh, wrote his accounts after the death, he was the surgeon on the Victory. He said Nelson's final words were, Thank God I have done my duty, which is very British. <laughs> um, according to Beatty, Nelson repeated the words several times until he became unable to speak. However, the uh, <laughs> there's a couple of other accounts. The um, chaplain, uh, Alexander Scott, the steward, Chevalier, and the purser, Walter Burke, all wrote their own accounts and in those they always said his last words were drink drink fan fan rub rub this was apparently <laughs> a request to alleviate his symptoms of thirst heat and pain in his wounds but the 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 legend the the uh, urban myth is that his last words were kiss me hardy spoken to the captain of HMS victory thomas hardy now According to my information, again, Nelson did, in fact, say these words to Hardy a short time before his death, but they weren't his last words. Hardy wasn't present at his death, having been called back on deck. Now, um, apparently some have speculated that he was actually saying kismet, K-I-S-M-E-T, Hardy. But uh, this is considered unlikely, as the word kismet didn't enter the English language until much later. Um so, Kiss Me Hardy, I know that uh, men at sea do strange things and are quite close, but... Uh, we the, don't want to uh, go there. Well, are we, to run the risk of offending our British listeners, their great hero, I, I won't go any further with that. Well,
1: I don't, I, I, I don't think that if he said, Kiss Me Hardy, that, that it had anything to do with, with, with him being gay or anything i'm I'm sure there was some of that in 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 any any person's navy and and as as a person who 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 believes in gay rights and so forth I mean so what it doesn't bother me one way or the other. however, I don't think in, in Admiral Lord Nelson's case that it's likely particularly uh given that he's having this relationship with uh with uh hamilton uh but maybe one he enjoyed comment you said about as how much as his he
0: his I'm sorry. I was going to say maybe he enjoyed men's company as well as female company. Well, absolutely, I, I, nothing wrong with that. Of we, we, that's, the that's Napoleon entire- podcast fully supports alternative lifestyles,
1: and and, and we do, and, and and you're you're entirely uh, right. Anything is possible. I've never come across any any kind of credible evidence uh, about that. I mean, some some folks are right that I maybe mean, Napoleon was was bisexual, and I've never come across any credible evidence on that either. Uh, you mentioned the. The casket being made from the the uh, mast of Lorient, which had been, of course, at the Battle of the Nile, uh, and it had been you, you said it had been salvaged. It's possible that the mast was floating and had been for whatever reason picked up. But Lorient, you may recall, exploded in one of the stunning moments of the Battle of the Nile, and indeed one of the stunning moments in. In any uh, naval battle in history, uh, and and sank instantly with quite a few people on board, and it stopped the battle for about 15 minutes. It was a regular fireworks display, and they actually the British uh, sent uh, ships out or the ship uh, longboats out to to pick up whatever wounded had had survived. <clears throat> Again, much to their credit, so th- th- that ship couldn't have been. Uh, itself uh, uh, picked up or or salvaged as you put it. In fact it was actually discovered a number of years ago, quite recently, a decade or so ago uh, by some underwater archaeologists and many of the pieces of it have been photographed and some things have have been brought to the surface but that notwithstanding I want to go back to sort of bring us to some level of conclusion here I've lost track of the time on this. I I had this vague sense that this might be a relatively short uh, period, uh, but I see now now that uh, we're coming up on a a good hour, so nothing's new under the sun there. The bottom line to all of this, Nelson notwithstanding, Villeneuve, Napoleon, all of the protagonists here, the fact of the matter is that Trafalgar probably was irrelevant there are scenarios that you can come up with that if this if that, if that, if that with this fleet Napoleon might have been able to invade uh, England but it was never really going to happen it was always a pipe dream as far as I'm concerned and indeed by the time we get to Trafalgar Napoleon no longer thinking of invading England so even if the the, the British suffer a humiliating defeat. All it will mean, at least in the short term, is that the French and Spanish will go in support of Napoleon in Italy and the Auschwitz campaign, which they don't need, as it turns out. The The, the French win an enormous victory uh, without so much as a single ship uh, in support. However, uh it's not like Napoleon still had no ships. He still has some, some French ships. There's the Spanish ship. Not, not every ship at Napoleon's disposal was at Trafalgar and destroyed. So there's still a French presence in the Mediterranean, for example. There's still a French presence in the Atlantic. But any chance of overwhelming the British, any chance of invading Great Britain is, is out of the question. And this has a significant psychological effect on both sides. First of all, and most importantly, I think, the British can begin to breathe easy. The British people no longer have to be worried about this great invasion scare. If you look at the the, uh, the uh, documents from the period and the, the, the various... Uh, uh, things that were posted in the town squares. Uh, the, the French are coming. Beware. Be prepared. They had all sorts of local civil defense kinds of organizations prepared to, to uh, defend the, the home territory against the invading French. Well, now they can, they can dispense with that. They no longer live in fear of an invasion. They probably didn't need to to begin with, but they certainly no longer do now.
0: <clears throat> is that why Nelson Which... is held in such high esteem? Because it it removed that threat? Or was it just that they didn't have too many good stories to tell during this period and they were going to take any good stories they could get?
1: Well, I think it's a little of each. There's no question the only two really true heroes, successful heroes, of Great of, Britain uh, at this point uh, in this period of history are are uh nelson and wellington there are other generals uh who, who certainly have some success and people who who served under them especially under wellington uh, who who get mentioned uh, but in reality those those are the two biggies and they uh, they're, i think but they're
0: also like the two biggies of all time i mean the interesting thing to me is when you think of you know great british uh, heroes even today 200 years later Wellington and Nelson uh, just really seem to stand above the clouds, don't they?
1: Well, I think that the, the people who who uh, are fans of Churchill would 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 question whether those two uh, stand above but Churchill. And, Churchill and really wasn't a, he Henry's...
0: wasn't he wasn't a military leader though. He was a, a great political leader, but I mean, in terms of military leaders, guys that were on the front line, generals commanding armies and armed forces. Do they really
1: have anyone that stands up to these two with the possible exception of Henry V and Agincourt, no I mean i I think if you're going to limit it strictly to the to the active military uh, role, I, I think you have a good point they They are clearly the, the 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 big ones I mean, you think of World War II, Montgomery, well, Montgomery is no Wellington, I think, and so on so so limiting it like that, yes, you're absolutely right, and even if you add the political uh, aspect to it but with with Churchill, who's also somewhat. Of a military commander, and in, in a sense, uh, I think you're still right. These guys are big. Uh, they, after all, all the way up until the, the great wars of the 20th century, the biggest single threat to British security probably was uh, Napoleon. And so they beat the biggest threat to British security. Unless you want to go back to ten sixty six and and call you know William uh, an invader uh so so yeah they've got they they've got that it allows England <clears throat> Great Britain to be more aggressive against Napoleon. They no longer have to be worried about defending they no longer have to play defense now they can be even more aggressive offensively, and most importantly from the military point of view. The psychological point of view, I think the British gained the most because of this whole idea, okay, we no longer have to worry about waking up and there's Napoleon in the bedroom. Okay. From a military standpoint and a negative psychological standpoint, obviously Napoleon has his options severely limited. Until Trafalgar, there was always this possibility at least of invading great britain after trafalgar there's no chance whatsoever that that's going to happen and it forces napoleon to do what he does best you can you can certainly argue but it forces napoleon to concentrate strictly on the continent napoleon will only defeat the british if he's able to control the continent and then use that control to somehow bring Great Britain to her knees economically. Because he's never going to have, you know, he can control all the armies of Western, Central, and Eastern Europe, all the the way from the English Channel to, to Moscow. He can control all of those. And they can't get across the Channel, therefore they can't invade England. The only thing they can do is what Napoleon tries... And that, of course, is the continental system. That's where he tries to starve England by removing the possibility of trade with the continent. That doesn't work out, but it's really, after Trafalgar, the only option that Napoleon uh, has. Uh, It also makes it much more difficult for the French to maintain a foreign empire. It's very difficult for them to now communicate with their islands in the Caribbean and elsewhere. Uh, So Napoleon, basically, as I said before, he is stuck on the continent. He's going to be very successful on the continent. After all, shortly after Trafalgar, he wins his greatest victory uh, at Austerlitz, defeats the Austrians. Uh, uh, The next year, as we've already discussed, he defeats the Prussians and the Russians. 1806 and 1807. Uh, He, in 1809, we'll get to this later, he defeats the Austrians again and so on. It's not really until 1812 that he has any kind of a serious problem on the continent. But behind all of that is the fact that England, Great Britain, is secure against Napoleon and therefore willing and able and rather successful at... uh, Causing havoc, and I said, 1812, of course, is the Peninsular Campaign, uh, which is going badly for Napoleon before 1812. Uh, but Napoleon, directly his own campaigns, doesn't really have serious trouble until until 1812.
0: And uh, just one last thing about um, our unfortunate Admiral Villeneuve. Uh, you, you mentioned that in 1806. So um, at the end of the battle, he was actually captured uh, by the by the British and uh, was imprisoned in England. Uh, was released on parole, went back to France in 1806, and on the 22nd of April, he was found dead at the Hotel de Patrie in Rome, with six stab wounds in the chest. Now, you mentioned that it was suicide, and I believe that was the official verdict. Eh, I'm not sure that six stab wounds to the chest is necessarily the way that most people choose to commit suicide.
1: <laughs> well, I must admit, I, I don't hold myself out as an expert uh, uh, on, on Villano's demise. Uh, the source that I read, which I don't recall offhand, <clears throat> indicated he had committed suicide. Uh, you may have a better source. Uh, there may be some controversy about it. I think, I, will official, I think suicide was the official verdict. But, I hope, uh, it, will, but I hope sure. it will not come as a shock and dismay to our listeners that, that, that Cameron and I, and, and I, well, I won't speak for Cameron, but I do not know everything about everything with Napoleon. And, and occasionally on something like this, I, the source I use may or may not be necessarily the, the, the final word. Uh, but he, he, he did die. Uh, either by suicide or in suspicious suspicious circumstances, and he died a broken and sad man uh, because of, uh, of of these this huge defeat, and, and and of course building on on the Nile, but but he brought it on himself. I mean, he was entirely too cautious a leader. If you'd have had a uh, a Napoleon, a Napoleon wannabe, in Villeneuve's shoes, y- history might might. And again, I emphasize might be significantly different. It's, it's really hard to say. And that's what's so fascinating about history. You can change one thing. Put one person in instead of another. We'll do this when we get to the Waterloo campaign. You know, If he'd have taken this marshal instead of that marshal, if Murat had been available, or was available, if Napoleon had chosen to take Murat and use him instead of Ney with the cavalry, if, if, if it had been Murat instead of Grouchy chasing, you know, the, 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 the Prussians, there's all sorts of what ifs that you can do. And that's why historians love to sit around, have a fine glass of cognac or scotch or wine and, and talk about these possibilities. And no one can be wrong because <laughs> anything could possibly have happened if you make these changes.
0: Now, um, just one film that I recommend people have a look at if they're interested in what a battle like Trafalgar may have been like is um, Australian director Peter Weir's film from 2003, Master and Commander, starring my uh, Aussie compatriot Russell Crowe. Not a great film, I think. I, I, I would... If you get it out on DVD, just skip to the battle scenes. Uh, I think the battle scenes are masterfully recreated. I believe they went to a lot of trouble to create uh, historical accuracy around what these battle scenes may have been like between these large ships. It's actually set during the Napoleonic Wars, so uh, a lot of what you see will reflect what the Battle of Trafalgar would have been like. But uh, I remember seeing seeing this film at the cinema on the big screen and getting a much better appreciation for just how incredibly malevolent these battles would have been with cannon just bursting through the sides of these ships. And, and you know, oh man, this would have been hell. I mean, all battles in these times obviously were hell. But, uh, you know, I think being out in the middle of the ocean with this going on around you, uh, you couldn't even run away unless, like, you took the whole ship and
1: ran away. <laughs> you were trapped. Like Villeneuve, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah.
0: But have you seen well, the film?
1: You're, you're, you're right, Cameron. And I, I want to second your suggestion of that, that movie. I think it's a good movie. Uh, and it certainly gives you a good sense of, of the, the epic what it was like what the people would have been like the, the the series of books of course uh uh the on which the movie is the movie is based on i think two of the of the 12 books or so for master and commander uh it it's very very good uh i got to tell you a funny story though for those of you who have seen the the movie or will see the movie there's a scene in there and it seems to me they're practicing the canon and and uh, I can't. I think it's Russell Crowe who's who's trying to egg the men on to fire a, a more number of shots per minute. I mean, that's how you you sort of judge these things. How many rounds can you get off in a minute? Because you're you're going alongside these ships, you're firing broadsides, and the more cannonballs you send into the other ship, the the, the better your chances of winning are. And he's shouting out. Uh, you know, do do you want this? Uh, you know, do do you want the French to be to be chasing after your women? And of course, they, you know, no. You know, do you want this? And do you want that? And then at the end, he, he says, and do you want Bony to to be your king? And when we had the movie, we were in the theater, and uh, <laughs> with a, a few a few of us who are who are uh, shall we say have a slight bias toward the emperor, and also who had had a little bit of my medication, were having a very good time with the whole thing. As soon as he says, and do you want Boney to be your your king, we all stood up beside it, yes! <laughs> Much to the amazement of everybody else in the theater who didn't know whether they should call the police, uh, call call the little men in white jackets uh, carrying a straight jacket to us, uh... or whether they should just sort of shrug their 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 shoulders and do their best to ignore us Uh, we were generally well behaved except for that one part (laughs) all right well that
0: brings us to the end of this episode now (laughs) i i I had uh, intended mr markham that um during this break as as regular listeners will recall at the end of episode 17 we finished with the treaty of tilsit and I, i kind of thought that was a great point for us to take a break and and uh tackle a couple of these uh difficult subjects like trafalgar and also spain the peninsula wars um now it but it's proven so difficult to motivate you to come and do the trafalgar show that i'm not sure i want to line up the peninsula wars as the next show i yeah, you know, I, I might lose you forever should we do something more amenable in the next episode and, and do the peninsula later on
1: Well, we'll we'll have to see. Uh, To be to be fair, there have been other issues that have 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 delayed us uh, uh, in doing this show. But we have joked back and forth about do we really have to do Trafalgar? Uh, And clearly we had to. And clearly we have to do uh, the Peninsula campaign. Uh, If there's anything the the British like to talk about more than Trafalgar, it is, of course, uh, uh, Wellington's March North uh, in, in Spain and Portugal. Uh, that might take more than one session because that goes on for a much longer period of time, and there's really there's 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 a lot of different nuances to the Peninsular Campaign, including uh, some great success on the part of of the French when Napoleon himself is is in the Peninsula. Uh, in the Peninsula, uh, the 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 French do quite well. It's only when he leaves that things uh, turn 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 bad. Uh, but we'll definitely talk about the Peninsular Campaign, and I point out to my listeners again that um, I'm not a expert at every single aspect of everything that ever happened on Napoleon and and the Peninsula campaign is is not my strongest point but I do have some good references and and Cameron uh is 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 a, a super partner in all of this and and we'll give you a pretty good idea of what the what the peninsula was all about not necessarily every little battle and every little thing but but what it meant much more important to any of this is what did the Peninsula Campaign mean? But we also have to remember that this campaign goes on for uh, what six years, something along that line. So I don't know that we'll cover the entire thing all at once, or if we do, we'll we'll have to occasionally go back and make reference to it because it has a, a tremendous impact on what is happening elsewhere uh, in Europe as well. Uh, but. Uh, the British had great success in in the Peninsular campaign, as they did in the naval campaigns, particularly the Nile and and Trafalgar. And we want to give give everybody their due, uh, and uh, and and we will. And 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 Wellington will get his due as well. I've been to Aspie House and and, and admired uh, uh, the the things that that are there, and 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 I admire uh, Wellington. Not quite as much, I think, as I admire Nelson, but but, but still, Wellington was uh, uh, perseverant, he, and, and he ultimately was able to to obtain victory, <clears throat> albeit with a lot of help at Waterloo by by the Prussians, and also, frankly, by Napoleon. So we'll do Spain. In fact, I think in the book, it seems to me that Spain actually comes next, uh, and if that's true, I'll have to go back and look at it. I'm looking here, I have... Yeah, yeah, okay, Spain's next, so... What the heck, we'll do Spain next. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pumped. I'm up for it. Never right. let it be said that David Markham is not willing to discuss Spain. In fact, I think of Bleeding in Spain, we call the chapter, and we'll bleed. Maybe, Trust me, maybe, every time I talk about Spain, I bleed. Maybe, maybe to motivate us, we
0: should actually record that episode <laughs> in Spain. Can I meet I you in if you Madrid will next take- week?
1: If you will pick up uh, a first-class ticket for me uh, and make arrangements with my school to get me off, I'll be happy to do so. But it can't be next week. I, I will mention to our listeners that I do go in for what hopefully will be some minor surgery uh, next Friday, and I'll, I'll be laid low for a, a, a week or so. Uh, but uh, that might be a good time for me to read up on Spain. Now The question is, would that uh, hasten my demise? <laughs> uh, depress me too much. We'll we'll see. Uh, but I'm having a little surgery next week, and hopefully, uh, two weeks later, uh, the week of the tenth or whatever, uh, I'll be on spring break, and and maybe we'll do one or even two episodes that week. All right. Well,
0: thank you again to all of our listeners for your continued support, your emails, your comments. Uh, it, you know, we really do get overwhelmed with the amount of feedback that we get. It's every day literally every day uh we get emails and comments from you talking about how much you're enjoying the show and and uh really want to thank you it it, it uh keeps us motivated keeps us excited we're, we're excited that you're enjoying this little journey that we're taking you on and um we look oh, forward it's great to it's continuing. great fun for us indeed
1: it's great fun for, i'm sorry we, we we and i apologize to our listeners if it's not always easy for two of us to talk at the same time with the technology here. It's great fun for us. If you didn't hear about it, the the uh, USA Today last week had a story on our on our uh, uh, podcast here on Napoleon. They got a few minor details wrong, but at least they had the gist of it. Uh, and I apologize to our listeners for not always getting back to them and their emails and their posting as quick, as quickly as I as I would like to. Uh, but I will try to always do that and. It's great fun, and we're looking forward to to doing this for probably years into the future.
0: Au revoir, David. Au revoir.